Hello and welcome to Inside the Yale Admissions Office. My name is Mark and I'm a Yale Admissions Officer. And I'm Hannah. I'm also a Yale Admissions Officer. And today we are joined by our friend and colleague, Mora. Hi, everyone. My name's Mora. I'm another Yale Admissions Officer. And Mora, we're delighted to have you here to talk about letters of recommendation. The episode today is primarily going to be for those educators who write for applicants, but we'll also give some advice about selecting recommenders. And we will, as always, take you inside our reading and evaluation process. Yep. All right. Let's hit you with some quick facts about recommendations. Every applicant has three letters of recommendation, two from classroom teachers, from core academic subjects, and one counselor recommendation. And I want to start off just by saying, yes, we really do read these. We do. We do. In fact, they are my favorite part of the application. This might be because my mom is a teacher. I'm married to a teacher. I love teachers. (laughs) um, And I really love reading what they have to say about their students. They can be super helpful. We spend a lot of time reviewing them. They can really tell us a lot about an applicant. Um, And we are very, very grateful to the educators who take time to write these letters and especially to write thorough letters. Recommendation letters are one of those unsung parts of the job of being a teacher or a counselor. So we cannot underscore enough how much we appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, they help us enormously. I know that as a teacher, you might think that you are doing your student a favor by writing for them. You certainly are, but we really see it as an amazing professional courtesy that you're doing to us to help us do our job better. Definitely. So when we're reading an application, uh, teacher recommendations are usually towards the end of what we see. So we transition from hearing from the student directly in their part of the application to hearing from the teachers and the counselor. And because it's towards the end of the application reading process, we already know a lot about the applicant. We know about that applicant's activities. We know about their academic interests and ambitions. We know their grades and we know what courses they've taken. We've already read a little bit from the student themselves. So Maura, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what we are looking for out of letters of recommendation? Absolutely. So the teacher recommendations can really talk to the contributions in the classroom, can talk to the student's intellectual curiosity, talk to how the student might kick up the class discussion another notch. Sometimes teachers and counselors can maybe talk a little bit about the growth arcs, the resiliency, other things that may not come up in the application. We love hearing about community citizenship also, and sometimes we get a little of that buzz around the school about the student from the recommendations. And that's great because that's how the recommendations really help us to see, oh, hey, this is a wonderful student, or, oh, hey, this is a can't-miss student. They really fill in that buzz for us. So let's dive into a little bit of advice for applicants before we address all those educators out there. My go-to piece of advice here, very simple. Pick some teachers who know you and who like you. Yes. Like, that's it. Do not go into some three-dimensional chess thing, you know, beyond that. Um, Yale asked for two letters of recommendation from academic core subjects. We don't have any special requirements about, you know, if you're planning to major in one particular area or no anything like that. No special combination of it should be this and this equals that. No, right. The most important thing is that the teachers who you choose are going to sit down and write a thorough letter for you that can touch on some of the things that we just mentioned. Exactly right. Um, you do want to ensure for Yale that it is a core academic subject. And for us, that generally means um, history and social studies, English, foreign language, mathematics, or science. Um, certainly something like computer science or something that, you know, that may not fall in there, but is pretty close will make a lot of sense. 
Um, and then we also have an opportunity for your counselor to write a letter of recommendation. I just want to say that this isn't required. I know that some students attend schools where they have a counselor who doesn't know them or has a giant caseload and is unable to write a recommendation for every student, and that's fine. Um, but if you do have a college counselor in your school, try to get to know them. Try to get to know them and help them get to know you if they don't know you already. So maybe you share a little bit about your college plans. Maybe you make sure that the counselor knows what you do around school and home and why you do it, why it's meaningful to you. I often tell counselors that what we look for in their letter of recommendation is more of a bird's eye view of the student's mm -hmm. role in that mm -hmm. community. The teacher can tell us specifically about your engagement with a particular subject, how you worked in a classroom setting of maybe 15 or 20 or so students. We're hoping that the counselor can sort of say, in our community of maybe a thousand or 2000 students, here's the impact that the students makes. Uh, here's what people are saying about this student. Here's how her presence is felt day to day around the school building. Totally. Uh, now, this is really important. At Yale, we are not interested in piling on supplementary letters of recommendation. We do not need a third teacher. We only want to. You know, a letter from your coach or choir director or club sponsor doesn't really tell us much that's new. So we don't ask for those types of letters. If there's a person who insists on writing for you, it's fine to let them, but please don't feel like you have to ask those people. In the category of letters that really don't add very much, I would also put the letter from some Yale alum who happens to know your parents and has met you once or twice, not very helpful. Right. Um, the best letters are from people who really know you well and can speak from their own personal experience getting to know you. More is not necessarily better in this case, and you hear our voices. We are actual people who have to read these letters, so <laughs> make them have an impact. Totally. All right, so let's talk about some advice to writers. Again, thank you. Thank you so much for the time and the energy that you put into writing these letters of recommendation. We really do read every single word of what you write, um, so thank you for making these letters count. As I said, this is my favorite part of the application. It's my favorite part even when the letters are sort of generic and not as personal as the ones we're going to talk about in this advice. I still enjoy it, I have to say. I mean, it's a little bit like kind of walking down the greeting card aisle at the store. You know, it might be generic and might be cheesy, but reading from people who are saying nice things about other people, it just makes my day. Yeah, I get really absolutely. I can be in a grumpy mood and reading a letter of recommendation will always cheer me up. So wholesome. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you again. You, you make me happy by saying nice things about your students. So I want to start with this image. I think this is maybe the best way to sort of orient yourself as a, as a writer. Imagine that your letter of recommendation is something that you are writing to a student's upcoming teacher, a colleague of yours at your school in your school building. Think about what you could tell your colleague and think what that colleague might already know that really doesn't need to be in your letter as well. Mm. I think the most valuable and perhaps surprising piece of advice I have about writing letters of recommendation is to keep your letter in the first person. We read a lot of letters that are in the third person. Understandably, you, you're thinking, I'm writing about this student, so I'm going to say the student does X, does Y, does Z. Mm -hmm. But what we really want is your impression. We want your first-person perspective on interacting with that student. Uh, my wife, as I mentioned, is a teacher. She happens to be a history teacher, so we talk a lot about primary sources in our house, and I like to think of letters of recommendation as primary sources. Um, my analogy here is that the application is a little bit like a document-based question. Mm. Those of you who are in an AP history class are used to writing DBQs. 
And every document in a DBQ is a primary source, which means it's written from the first person perspective of someone in an historical moment. That's what a letter should be. It should be you as an educator writing in the first person about your impressions and your experiences. Um, it's gonna showcase your point of view. And by giving some insight into who's writing the letter, um, you're gonna avoid the sort of omniscient narrator style of the letter, where it's just completely sort of seems like it's stating the facts and we right. don't have a great mm -hmm. sense of exactly how that relationship is developed. Right, right. Sometimes there can be a little too much distance between the, the writer and the subject. So um, we're not saying that you need to spend half of the letter sharing your credentials. Uh, you don't need to feel the need to do that. Um, but even if it's your first year teaching, your point of view here is valuable. Yeah, so here's some quick examples that I pulled from letters um, from a few years ago. Names are all changed here. This is a third person presentation of some superlatives for a student. Steven is brilliant, a driven, energetic young man with a bright future. He combines a fierce desire to succeed with an inborn talent. Good like, for Steven. Yeah, yeah that that's sounds nice. great. I, I probably could have written that about Steven, though. <laughs> sure, exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, I don't have any sense of how, why, what made those impressions. I'm just getting Steven is blank, blank, blank. So here's an example of um, style of letter writing where I feel like the narrator, the recommender, is really reliable. I'm really understanding where uh, he or she's coming from. Jenna has always kept me on top of my game. Week one, when she took the pretest before we covered anything in U.S. history at all and she passed, I knew I was going to have to do more to challenge and engage her. She was constantly reading, researching, and staying after class to grapple with complex ideas. To find a student who enjoys learning this much is always a dream for a teacher, but it also made me better. I can't describe how much better she made me as a teacher and how much better I knew my content in preparation for Jenna entering my classroom every day. That's the kind of letter that makes me think, wow, this student could be a really great addition to our seminars and our classes or just conversations over a meal in a dining hall. And I think it's a great example of how the specifics are so much more powerful than the superlatives. Mm -hmm. We read among our applicants things like one of the best mm -hmm. a lot. Uh -huh. Yeah, It's a nice thing to say, but that's not all that helpful as we are trying to get to know individual applicants. Right. I mean, even if you say this is the best student I ever had, we want more than that. We want, you know, to know what about the student's experience made her one of the best. Was it just that she got high scores or can you give us some more specific examples here? I love thinking of examples like, you know, Alex wasn't the loudest student in the class, but when he raised his hand, you could see everyone around the classroom or the Zoom room as it is now, <laughs> kind of dialing in a, a little bit more, taking notes, because we knew every time that Alex would kick up this discussion. And that's the thing. There's an assumption that, oh, well, the student has to be an extrovert. Nope, there are ways that all types of students positively impact the classroom. Uh, another great example would be someone saying something along the lines like, Sophia is an incredible asset to the class. She's the one that I wouldn't even have to ask to help others around her. She would just do it naturally and approachably. And she would do it because, not because she was getting extra points or anything like that, but she just wanted to make sure that others understood the material like she did. Others enjoyed the material like she did. Sophia is the one who brought extra articles, made a game. She made it a better classroom environment for everyone. And those are the kinds of letters that help us, the ones that talk about that positive impact in the classroom. Yeah, as many specifics we can get about the students, um, you know, impacts, personality in the classroom is really helpful. 
What's less helpful is if a teacher or a counselor is just sort of rehashing what we already know about a student. So for example, we do not need you to list out all of their extracurricular activities. A student has already provided that for us. I can always see this paragraph from a mile away, (laughs) almost Mm -hmm. literally, because Mm -hmm. it always has the capital letters. It's nearly always the third or fourth paragraph in the letter. And I can tell that it's just going to be what I already know because I can see, you know, capital P president of the capital F Mm -hmm. French club, (laughs) you know, et cetera, et cetera, throughout the sentences. We already know all of these things about the student by the time we get to your letter. And it might be because it's filler, but no, that's not so much about the length. Again, it's about the content. If we already have the information somewhere we don't need it again yeah that said you know if you have something to add in terms of sort of color about why that student is engaged in an activity you know is it a really big deal at the school does the student's excitement or commitment really come through to you Um, has the student's commitment to that activity changed things in the school environment that sort of thing can certainly be helpful. Right. And if you are the faculty member who is the sponsor of an extracurricular organization, or if you're a counselor and you're aware of the impact of this activity, by all means, tell us about it. So I actually pulled an example, one of my favorite uh, instances where a teacher talked about how a commitment was really special and gave us some specifics that weren't available in the rest of the application. Okay, so here goes. Jessica has taken it upon herself to make the school more interconnected. Last year, she was able to bring a diabetic specialist to students when we were learning about diabetes, as well as a rheumatologist to our science Olympiads to discuss the immune system with them. For her magnum opus, she wants to build a career day. She knows our school has never achieved more than four speakers at one time. So to help her out, she led the Science Honor Society to pick up the slack. This is way more than what I asked of them. She already has six speakers lined up, including a surgical nurse and a rocket scientist. That positive impact comes through so so clearly. Yeah. I love that the teacher calls it her magnum opus, like really lending (laughs) some, uh, you know, real impact to that story. Absolutely. And I think with the student, all I knew was that she was president of the Science Olympiad. You know, she had not written about this in other parts of her application. That's something that we see, you know, plenty of times, but this is where I got those details. And it had made such an impression on the teacher. I was happy to get those added in there. Another thing that can be helpful for us to get from recommendations is a sense of how the student interacts with their peers. So a common committee question that can sometimes come up is, um, is there any sense of peer engagement in this file or, you know, just does the student play well with others? Yeah, it doesn't need to be in the letter, but it certainly can be relevant, especially if it's an asset for the student. And in some cases, it can feel conspicuously absent if we're not seeing it in any part of the application. And I'll say, you know, helping other students is great, particularly if this is a very bright student who's, you know, tutoring others, but even better from our perspective is someone who really can work with others, who can learn from others, who can champion others in the classroom. So Mm -hmm. if you have insights into those kinds of dynamics, we would love to hear about them. Yeah. Remember, we're looking for hints at what the student might be at Yale, who they might be at Yale, and who they might be to others at Yale. So um, those kinds of things are, are really jump out at us. Here are a few areas to be especially mindful when you are writing your rec. Um, recommendations, in our experience, can frequently raise some concerns that aren't present in other parts of the application. This is not necessarily a bad thing, and we really appreciate your honesty. And sometimes we will follow up if something is not clear. Um, so there's a reason that Letters of Recommendation asks teachers to give their you know, email address. We oftentimes reach out if something seems a little bit murky or just does not square in with other parts of the application. 
Yep. Um, And we also just want you to be mindful of not sort of throwing up flags when you don't mean to. So, you know, speculating about the details of a challenge that a student is going through if you're not sure of them or, or projecting a student's mental or emotional state steer clear of that kind of thing. Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes we we find ourselves getting really confused when a teacher says, you know, I think something was going on, I'm not quite sure, Mm. or I have a feeling. Um, We want your perspective, but try to stick to the things that you really are certain of if you're writing that on behalf of a student. And if a student has shared some challenging details of an experience they've been through, um, outside of the context of asking you for this letter of recommendation, I would advise you to connect with that student and say, are you comfortable with me sharing this background information that I have, Um, yes or no? It might be very helpful for you to incorporate that context, but a student may also say, I really would prefer that you not discuss that in the letter of recommendation. Right. I really do enjoy reading these letters of recommendation because it's one piece of this whole puzzle that we're trying to put together. And it's incredible what comes out of some of the letters of recommendation that you almost think, wow, the student didn't mention this at all. I'm so glad that the teacher or the counselor let me know about this because this is pretty cool or this is pretty impactful or wow, does the student even know how incredible this is? And have we talked about before, There's no point system. We are not, you know, looking for some rubric that's going to say, well, this teacher said this or this teacher said that. Mm -hmm. It is also not simply a sort of seal of approval where if you just write and say no concerns, that that's what we're looking for. Um, These can really give us more insight about the student. And back to the bad physics analogy I used (laughs) in our last uh, episode, we want to see that there's some constructive interference between what's happening in the letter of recommendation and the other parts of the file. So when this goes well, towards the end of the application reading, we pick up one of these letters and we say, ah, yes, this is the same person that I met before. Mm -hmm. I can see that this is how the student has been making an impact in her classroom and in her school community. And I'm not at all surprised to see that the people around her are writing these kinds of wonderful things about her. Absolutely. And as a a writer of a letter of recommendation, you are, of course, doing your students a great favor and a great service in in taking the time to do that. But you're also doing us admissions officers a huge favor. Seriously, It's such a wonderful professional courtesy to a colleague in education, and we really appreciate the time that goes into these thoughtful letters. Again, it's one of those unsung parts of being a teacher or being a counselor and know that we read these letters and know that we really value these letters and the time that goes into writing them. So thank you. Maura, thank you for coming and joining us on the podcast today. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. And I'm so glad that we got to talk about recommendations because I really love them too. Well, we'll have to have you back soon. Thanks also to our friend and colleague, Jill, who's both our sound engineer and a great admissions officer. Thanks to former admissions officer, Andrew Brick Johnson, who composes our music. Check him out at andrewbrickjohnson.com. If you have comments or an idea for a future episode, drop us a line at Podcast at gmail.com. And finally, remember that the views expressed in this podcast are mine and Mark's and don't necessarily represent those of Yale University. Thanks for listening.